Virtually all people in the Western world, both secular and religious, are aware of this rite we call baptism. They may have a different concept of maybe why or what happens. And there are many thoughts about baptism. Most of it, sadly, is just opinion. Some dismiss it as trivial, really no big deal. Others go to the opposite end and say, it's even part of salvation. Now, the truth is, while baptism is not necessary to go to heaven, it is vitally important. Did you realize that when our Savior commenced His earthly ministry, He began it by being baptized? Do you realize that when He concluded His ministry and He was about to ascend, He gave a commission to go out and to win people and to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. Our Savior only had three and a half years of public earthly ministry. Now, He did a whole lot more than just that that's recorded in the Gospels. But in three and a half years, have you ever thought about how much it is emphasized, the subject of baptism? How often we see it an example of it or taught about. You see, baptism is a very important part of the Christian life. It is my public proclamation. And the fact is, what Christ has emphasized, we must never de-emphasize. Baptism is a vital part of our Christian walk. I read a cute story this week about a little boy who got that message that baptism is important. He went to a local Baptist church, and so he'd heard the pastor talk about it, so he decided when he went home, he was going to baptize his cats. So he baptized the first little kitten, and the kitten did okay with it. He baptized the second kitten. It clawed at him, but uh, it went okay. And then he decided to baptize the old mama cat. She rebelled, she struggled, she clawed, she tore, she ripped up. So he went out and got her again. He tried it again, kicking and screaming, dragging her, as it were, to that baptismal pool that he had made. The second time, he proceeded with the ceremony in his bathtub, and the cat act was worse than ever, clawing, hissing, finally scratching his face. Finally, the young boy had had enough. He took some water, sprinkled it on that cat, dropped her to the floor and said, fine, if you want to be a Methodist, go ahead. <laughs> yep. Well, this morning, we are going to talk about baptism, not Baptists, <laughs> but baptism. Let's all bow our heads for the prayer. Father, we thank you and bless you for this opportunity. Lord, I know this is what you want me to preach. I've felt the uh, the uh, confirmations over and over again. Thank you that, uh, Lord, I sense your spirit. Thank you for this great church, Lord, and the best days, Lord, are yet to come, and we'll thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Bible baptism, what is it? Number one, it involves a preparation. There is a preparation for baptism. If you're taking notes, there's some little things you can fill out there, or you can go to your app and Fill it out and then later email it to yourself. Let's go to the book of Mark, chapter 1. I love the gospel of Mark. 
Now, when most teachers and pastors preach one of the Gospels, especially expositorily, they'll preach Matthew, as I did, or they'll preach John, as I plan to. But often Mark gets left behind. Poor old Gospel of Mark. But it is an amazing uh, Gospel. Almost every verse in the Gospel of Mark in the King James Version begins with the, let, with the word and. This is a book of action. And Jesus did this, and, and He went and did this. It is presenting us as a servant of God. Mark chapter 1, verse number 1. Now, let's read together these first four verses, if you would, please. And I want you to underscore, highlight the word prepare both times. Verse number 1. Ready, begin. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now here we find uh, the Holy Spirit speaking to Brother Mark. He says, I want you to write this down. And since the Holy Spirit wrote all of Scripture, he brings to our memory a couple of reference points. He speaks here from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament and also from the book of Malachi, where it says that there would be one crying in the wilderness. Now, in the ancient Orient economy, when a monarch would get ready to go somewhere, he obviously didn't want to be inconvenienced in his travels. We're still the same way. And thankfully, for the most part, we have pretty good roads to go on. But they oftentimes wouldn't have a very nice path, and so they would upgrade the roads before that king would get on them. And maybe he would be going from one area to another, and so either the people of the area or even the king's own people would go there. And the first thing that they would do is if they had any chuck holes, they would fill them in. And that's what the book of Isaiah and the book of Malachi talk about. Prepare the way. Get ready for the king. And so if there's a chuck hole there, fill it up so that when his chariot passes over, he doesn't have a big old chuck hole. Those things are terrible. Then he said, if there's any hills, kind of grind them down. Make sure that you, any bumps like those speed bumps, some of those places in town, especially in Stockton. Oh my, I have no idea why they put so many speed bumps. Man, I hate going down those roads. And so he said, level those speed bumps off and make sure you fill in those uh, chuck holes and prepare the way. Then he said, if it's too twisty, straighten it out. Straighten it out. They tell me that when they put in West Lane here, they used to be a windy road and then they made it so straight so that it goes right from Stockton to Lodi. Now, John prepares, proclaims this. He said, you personally need to prepare for the coming of Jesus just like they prepared for the king back in his day. You need to make a road in your heart for heaven's royalty. And if need be, you need to take a bulldozer to your life and you need to dig up, you need to level, and you need to make straight so that God can come straight into your life. Now, that bulldozer that John is talking about basically is repentance. What does repentance do? 
Repentance breaks down those mountains of pride. What does repentance do? It fills up those valleys of sin. Then, after you have taken repentance to your life, once you have taken the bulldozer of God to your life, then, after you have repented, then you need to get baptized. Because baptism is the first outward sign that you have repented. You got, if you haven't repented, you have no business being baptized. But if, you've been, if you have prepared yourself through repentance, then get baptized. Now, John the Baptist preached repentance. His name is synonymous with repentance. You know John the Baptist, that guy that wore that rough clothing and the one who ate the locusts and wild honey? That guy. The guy that was standing up there saying, repent. And we often think of John the Baptist preaching repentance, but sometimes we miss the fact that our beloved Savior, that was also his message. Look what it says later on in chapter 1 there, verse 14. Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, verse 15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Another place in the book of Luke, it says in Luke 13, verse 3, except ye repent, you are going to perish. Now, John the Baptist had a message. What was it? Repent. What was the message of Jesus? Repent. Now, some people take offense at that word, and it's a, certainly not a politically correct word, but actually it is a tremendous word of hope and mercy and grace. If God had said, don't even worry about repenting because there's no hope for you. But he doesn't say that. He said, no, no matter what happens in your life, you can repent and you can come back to God. And the word means turn around. He said, repent and believe the gospel. And by the way, that is salvation right there in a nutshell. That's a perfect, perfect description of salvation. It is turning from sin. It is turning to Jesus Christ. It is saying, I don't want my old life. I want the new life. I want the good news. Billy Sunday was a colorful evangelist about the turn of the century in 1900, actually a little bit later than that. Billy Sunday was an amazing uh, preacher, very uh, demonstrative when he preached. He had been a former baseball player. And uh, people used to come just to love because he would just go up there and go crazy. I mean, run back and forth on the platform and slide in, you know. I mean, it was just, it was, people loved it. They said that when he preached on repentance, he did a backflip. He said, because repentance means go back the other way. The actual Greek word is metanoia. Go back the other way. And they said he would do a backflip. I was thinking, boy, I'll tell you one thing, I'm glad I don't have to preach like that. If I did a backflip, you'd have to get another pastor for sure. <laughs> Repentance. Now, what does it do? First of all, it requires two different actions. Number one, it requires a heart conviction. We must acknowledge that sin is wrong. I am wrong. I have sinned against God. Have you ever realized how beautiful baptism is to humble us all? You know, over 40 years of ministry, we have baptized just about every kind of a person you would imagine. We have baptized those that were pretty rough shape. We baptized those men that came in the baptistry or at least came into the dressing room with an Italian designer suit, women with their coach bags, you know. But the interesting thing about baptism is it is, someone has called it the great equalizer. Did you know that everybody looks the same when they come out of the baptistry? They all 
They all, <laughs> ladies with their $50 hairdos, when they're done getting baptized, they look like a drowned rat. And uh, it is the great equalizer. Something amazing about baptism. It just humbles us all, doesn't it? You can't wear your Italian suit in the baptistry. Nobody cares. You wouldn't want to wear it in there anyway. And that's what it does. It is a heart conviction. I think the greatest Bible example of someone who repented is King David. The Bible says that he had committed some very atrocious things, serious failures, but he came clean. He came clean with God. No excuses, no spinning, just humility. And he said, I have sinned. I have sinned. He knew he had sinned. Later on, Solomon wrote this, his son, maybe he learned it at the feet of his dad. Proverbs 28 and verse 13, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. It is a heart conviction. Baptism doesn't cleanse me, but it is a symbol of the heart conviction of sin. One person was trying to illustrate to another person how that baptism can't cleanse you. And he was saying, I'll tell you what you do. Take a, take a bottle of liquor. And he said, take that liquor and open it up and pour it out. Put the lid back on. And uh, then put a little rope around it and just throw it in the river and just uh, kind of float it around like that. Just float it around. He said, now, if you float that around for a few minutes, will it clean the inside? Well, no. How about if you float it around for a couple hours? Will it clean the inside? No. How about if you float it around for... For days or weeks or months, even years. Nope, it won't. It will never clean the inside. And folks, there's a lot of folks that think that somehow they, you know, pour out their liquor and uh, get baptized and they'll be clean. Folks, it has to start in the heart. It has to start on the inside. It is a heart conviction. And number two, it is a life confession. Not only a heart conviction, but a life confession in Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 8, old J.B., you know J.B., John the Baptist, he came up and he said, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. True repentance comes from the heart. It's like a root. If you've repented, it's a root. And all roots bring forth some kind of fruit. And now if that fruit that comes up is an old weed, then you know it wasn't repentance. But if there's good fruit, and that's what Paul, that's what John the Baptist said, he said, you know, anybody can talk, anybody can just do some action, but if it produces spiritual fruit, then it is a life confession. You're saying, well, are you saying you have to get rid of every sin in your life and then you can be baptized? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying clean up your life and then God will save you. If you could clean up your life without Jesus Christ, you wouldn't have to be saved. No, what I'm saying is, is that now when you turn to Jesus Christ, then you ought to have a life of fruit. That means I ought to have a, I ought to get serious about my faith and get to praying and Bible reading and church attending and tithing and getting baptized. It is all part of fruit. You say you're saved. Amen. Well, then where's the fruit? Are you going to church? Are you reading your Bible? Are you tithing? Are you getting baptized? If you're refusing to get baptized, then there's something wrong. That's why John said, I want to see fruit. That's why we call it, by the way, believer's baptism. We don't say just baptism. It is believer's baptism. 
in preparing for this message, I happened to just read this and that. And one of the things I read was some of the ancient customs in evangelical churches, good churches, maybe not quite exactly like ours, but good Bible-believing churches down through history. I read one of the more fascinating stories of what certain group would do back in the Middle Ages in Europe. They would take a a baptismal candidate, one who was, had shown fruit for repentance, one who was saved, they would take him and then they would dress him in a white gown, very symbolic of, you know, a new life. They would take him to the lake or take him to the river, wherever they were going to baptize him. And that person would then turn to the west. They would then, um, they would say, I renounce the devil. And then they would spit. They would renounce the devil, they would spit, then they would turn to the east. I'm not sure why that, maybe because Jesus is coming through the eastern gate someday, I'm not sure, but anyway, that's what they would do. And then they would proceed to baptize them. I thought, you know what, that's a whole lot of messing around, I'm not sure that that's all necessary, but I'll tell you one thing, that is an amazing symbol of repentance, isn't it? I just renounce the devil, I spit on the devil, and then I'm going to Jesus right here. It's a turning, and that's what... The, uh, that's what John is saying here, a preparation. You say, well, can I be baptized? Of course you can be baptized, but you must repent first. Number two, the pattern for baptism. What kind of baptism is New Testament baptism? Well, it is baptism by immersion. Now, I kind of wish the translators of the King James had kind of helped us with this, but they didn't. Not sure exactly why. But this is one of those words that's a transliterated word. It's not a translated word. Now, every other, uh, almost every other word in the New Testament is a translated word, but this is one of those transliterated. Actually, the word baptism is a Greek word. It's not, a, it's not an English equivalent. It's actually a Greek word that's just kind of been slurred, <laughs> kind of just drug out. Kind of like listen to someone who's got, you know, from Mexico, they've been here for 20 years, and they'll say, jack in a box, you know. I'm like, What? That doesn't sound like Spanish, but anyway. Um, so that's kind of what the, it is. A it is a Greek word, and it's baptizo. It means to immerse. Now you'd say immerse. What is he? You mean submerse? No, not submerse. Immerse. Now it's similar, but it's not the same. Submerse has the idea of going down and never, perhaps, never coming back up. <laughs> And that's why it's immersion. Amen. We thank God for that. And uh, it is, now there's a few folks that's been that's kind of rough people. And when they get baptized, I hold them down a little extra long. But uh, I submerse them. But anyway, we ought to thank God for the difference between immerse and submerse. Amen. But it is immersion. Now, you'd say, well, that's a good thing. Immersion is one way to baptize. No. It's not one way to baptize. It is the only Bible way to baptize. I mean, as simple as that. Anybody who is baptized any other way than by immersion is not scripturally baptized. I mean, that's absolutely so clear in Scripture. Well, let me give you. Let me show you. Go to verse nine. It says, "It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee to be baptized of John in the Jordan." Now, does it say to be baptized near the Jordan or by the Jordan? No. Actually, the preposition there means into the Jordan. 
He traveled all the way, 60 plus miles, one way to be baptized of John. Look at verse 10. And straightway, coming out of the baptismal fountain, he saw the heavens opened. Now, does it say that in verse 10? And straightway, after he had been sprinkled, no, it says, coming out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. Now, why did John the Baptist go all the way down to the Jordan River to baptize? Because it was beautiful? Oh, it's just got such a nice setting. No, because it had enough water. I mean, Jerusalem had water, but that place is not what you'd call a, a lot of water. I mean, it's a, it's a semi-arid, desert-type country. They had drinking water. They had water for their animals. But, I mean, enough water to baptize people? That's just not easy. And so, and to prove my point, you can go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 22. After these things, Jesus came with his disciples into the land of Judea. He carried with them and baptized. Verse 23. And John also was baptizing in and on near to Salem. Why? Because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. Now, folks, he went there because he needed enough water to baptize. It was deep water baptism. The only uh, method that is biblical is to immerse someone. Now, folks, I can tell you something over the years. We have had such beautiful things. There have been some strange things I've witnessed over the years. I remember going to one uh, funeral. I wasn't the officiant there. And this particular religious man, dressed up in all of his religious garb, he had this long little thing he held in his hand, and kind of looked like a big giant salt shaker. And uh, I noticed that he took that thing, and he's shaking it like this over the deceased uh, there. And I thought, what in the world is in that thing? I come to find out later, it was water, and he was baptizing that dead body. At least that's what he thought in his head. At least that's what he was taught. He was baptizing by sprinkling that water. Now, folks, there's two glaring problems with that. Number one, that person was dead. And that person was gone, and no amount of baptism was going to help him. Number two, it wasn't even baptism, because baptism takes a whole lot of water. And obviously, to take a dead body and put it in the water, that's just a, some serious issues there, you can imagine. I can tell you that that is not Bible baptism. Baptism has so many wonderful stories in this over the years in our own church. One of the first ladies I ever baptized, I was in my early 20s, I came to the Bible Baptist Church of Stockton. We were way over on uh, East Washington Street, uh, way on the east side of Stockton. Boy, we had some glorious times. I was in my early 20s, and we, uh, one special, precious lady, one of the first people I ever baptized was a wonderful saint of God. And, um, but I, and I say this lovingly, she was uh, as sweet as she could be, but she was kind of a plus-size woman. And uh, now I baptized her, but I, I'd, so I'd never really baptized anybody before. I never really realized the, the law of physics that were involved in baptizing. And uh, I didn't understand displacement of water. And uh, so when I baptized her, you know, I, had, I wore these waders, and uh, she went down, and my waders filled up. And, uh, and then I didn't realize that when you baptize somebody, you can't stand uh, at their feet. You have to stand at their head. 
So I had stood at her feet, and she went down, way down that way. And it is literally, it is physically impossible to reach down there. You have to get down there by their head. There's, folks, there's an art in this baptism thing. It's not easy. You need to pray for me. This is not a... We got it done, and she's a sweet, precious lady. That actually, uh, we have had five locations of Bible Baptist, the home church. That was the first one, way out in East Washington Street, and and we had a location on Cherokee for a while. Then we went to a, uh, an elementary school, a public elementary school, not far from here, down the road. And uh, we even, now every place we baptize, we baptize in Washington Street, we baptize on uh, Cherokee, and we even baptized in, in a public school. You say, how in the world did you baptize people in the public school? Well, we had a big agricultural tank, big plastic agricultural tank. I think they used it for insecticides. I'm big. And then uh, we just cut it in half, and we'd haul that thing in every Sunday. The, the school contacted me later and said, do you have any idea why our water bill is so high? I don't have any idea. And uh, we, we baptized folks all the time. And I mean to tell you, it was crazy. Um, the, the footnote on that, the good thing about baptizing people in, a, in an insecticide tank, when they get out, they have no bugs. And, uh, I mean, we took care of that. But uh, you'd say, well, all, you did all that bother? No, I want to tell you something, folks. It was a privilege all these years to baptize thousands of people. And because we want to do it for God's sake, because it is pleasing to Him. It is the pattern. Look what it says in verse 11 of Mark chapter 1. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I am well pleased. How many of you would like to be pleasing to the Lord? Would you like to be pleasing to the Lord? Well, then if you're not baptized, you need to get baptized. You just need to take care of it. You'd say, well, this and that. Come on now. Just get baptized. Well, I don't understand it. Let me see. Those people got saved on the day of Pentecost, and they got baptized on the same day. They didn't go to a new converts class. They didn't understand baptism, but they understood obedience. If I'm supposed to get baptized, let's take care of it. Let's do it. The preparation for baptism, the pattern for baptism, the preparation, repentance, the pattern, immersion, and number three, the proclamation. Now, back in Mark chapter one, we notice that it says that if you're going to be baptized, you have to repent. Well, Jesus didn't have anything to repent of. Why did he get baptized? In fact, John said in the book of Matthew, he said, I'm not going to baptize you, Jesus. You ought to baptize me. I'm not even worthy to uh, unlatch your shoes. And Jesus said, no, I'm, I'm going to do this. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, it becomes me to do this because it fulfills all righteousness. Or basically to say it in our lingo, we would just say it's the right thing to do. If it's the right thing to do, that's what I'm going to do. Now you'd say, well, You mean that Jesus got baptized by John? Yes, he did. He didn't have anything to repent of. And we know that's the case because John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. They grew up together about the same age. And you know something about cousins, especially if you grow up with them. They know everything about you. Amen. They know all about your sins. They know all about your good points, if you have any. And uh, But your cousin, they will tell it all. 
I mean, if you can't say anything about your family, what's the good of having family, you know? And uh, John the Baptist would have been happy, I'm sure, to say, well, I'm going to tell you something about Jesus. He's not the pure driven uh, snow that you might imagine. No, John the Baptist, after having been raised with Jesus, watched him grow up from the time he was a baby, said, this man has no sin. He is the Lamb of God. I promise you, this man is absolutely clear. So then if that's the case, what is baptism? If it's not to repent, if it's not to get rid of your sins, what is it for? It's a proclamation. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It is a proclamation. It is me saying, I am now your substitute. Jesus took our place. He was identifying with each of us. Though he was not a sinner, he was identifying himself as a sinner. Now, why are we baptized? We are baptized then to identify ourselves with Jesus as righteous. He identified himself with us as sinful. We identify ourselves with him as righteous. Let's go to Romans chapter 6, and this will be explained a little more fully. In this, Romans chapter 6, verse 3, and I want you to notice each time it says, like as, because some people have misread Romans chapter 6 and saying, what? We, in baptism, we're buried into his death, and we, no, it's like as. This is a symbolic. Verse 3, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into the Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. And you know, when you stand in the water, and then you go into the water, pictures his death. Verse 4, therefore we are buried, you're buried with him by baptism into his death. I'm identifying with his death. I'm proclaiming it that I believe it. And then notice that like as, so there we are, this is not, this is a symbolic gesture, it's a proclamation, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness, there's that word again, likeness of his death. It's, we're not literally dying. It's, it's all symbolic. We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. And so baptism then pictures the death. You stand in the water, it pictures the death of Christ on a cross. You go under the water, it pictures the burial. And then when we come up, it pictures the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying here. He is saying we are a, identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection. That is the gospel. And that's why only baptism by immersion can picture that. Sprinkling doesn't do it, or some people just never get baptized. They just don't seem like it's important. But if that's the case, they are not identifying with Jesus Christ. They're not proclaiming. It is the best picture. Some would say, well, what difference does it make? It doesn't really make any difference if it's this sprinkle or this mode. It makes a big difference. Suppose you'd never met my wife. And suppose you came up to me and said, okay, uh, Tim, um, you, I hear you have a beautiful wife. I said, oh, yeah, she is hot, I'll tell you what. No, and I'm not supposed to say that. But anyway, she is a great wife. And they'd say, well, do you have a picture of her? I would say, yes, I do. I would pull out my phone. And I would get my phone, open it up, and there I would show you a picture of my 1958 Volkswagen. You would say, now, uh, Tim, that's an awfully funny-looking wife you got there. And I would say, oh, well, yeah. I said, any picture will do. 
Any picture will do. It makes no difference what picture, as long as it's the meaning behind it. How many would agree with that? I would say, we'd all say that. No, it does make a big difference. I want to see her real picture. Now, folks, pictures and symbols are important to God. We can't, we cannot read the scriptures without realizing God is a God of pictures. God is a God of symbols. God speaks in so much symbolic language. He loves symbols, and He wants us to be, uh, he wants us to be clear about those things. And I will tell you this, if there is any message that the devil would love to take out of the church today, it is the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why churches are baptizing less and less today, because the devil is trying to destroy that picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, we need to have a bigger emphasis on that than ever before. We need to go against that devil and go against that, that last time era. And we need to say, look, this is important that you show the world that you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why you'll find liberal churches never baptize. They just don't. Modernist churches don't baptize. Or if they do, they'll have some little baptismal font. I was in the chapel there at Morris uh, Chapel there on the UOP campus. I took Brother Mark Thrift there a few months ago when he visited. And uh, we came into the lobby there, and their baptismal was there. It looked like a little tiny fountain. And uh, he looked at me. I looked at him. I said, that's their baptism. And I said, well, the folk, people I baptized never fit in that thing. I'll tell you that right now. But um, look, deep water baptism is Bible baptism. It is showing I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ. And baptism is a humbling thing to have to get up there and to proclaim, I believe in Jesus Christ. I told you the story before. I love the story, though, so I'm going to tell it again. There was a little boy who was in children's church. He was old enough to be saved, but he really hadn't been much in church. He didn't know a lot of our church terminology like you're supposed to know, you know. He came to his children's church leader and he said, the pastor said that after you get saved, um, you, need to get, um, you need to get baptized. The leader said, you need to get baptized. And so he said, you need to go tell the pastor. Go tell the pastor that you need to be baptized. So that little boy said, okay. I, I, he accepted Jesus as a Savior. So he went in, got the pastor, and said, pastor, he said, I want you to know I've been saved. And the leader told me I need to get advertised. <laughs> I need to get advertised. You know what? That's a slip of the tongue. But the truth is that's probably about as accurate as you can get. Baptism, it, to be baptized is to be advertised. I am advertising. I'm unashamed of Jesus Christ. I believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And I unashamedly stand here right now. I proclaim the gospel. Amen. I proclaim it. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> My wife and I were on a little trip. And I'm not sure if I decided or she decided. But we got together and we decided we were going to go parasailing. Now, folks, two senior citizens uh, in this uh, thing up in the sky, I did kind of, you know, when you're on the shore, it didn't look too bad. But when they start strapping all those harnesses on you, clip this, clip that, clip this, clip this, pretty soon I'm thinking, okay, 
this doesn't seem real safe right now. And you're riding behind a big old speedboat, or you're on top of it to begin with, and then all of a sudden they start letting you out. And you're up there in the sky, they're just, they're having the time of their life on this big old yacht, you know, laughing, waving at you, you know. And I mean, we're a couple hundred feet up in the air, parasailing. And when you come back down, you're just thanking the Lord, you never have to do that again. <laughs> I just put that in my BTDT file. You know what file that is, right? Been there, done that. And uh, don't want to do it again. <laughs> Got a box of chicken. I'm done. And uh, I've got it all. Parasailing. Well, I'll tell you one thing, folks. You know what baptism is a picture of? It is a picture that one of these days, without a parasail, we're going to be out of here. And we're going to be resurrected. The Bible says we're gone. We're Jesus sailing, not parasailing. I mean, I'm just gone like that. That's exactly what the Bible is saying here. Every time someone gets baptized... They are publicly preaching. You'd say, I'm not very good with words. I'm not a very good preacher or speaker, public speaker. You don't have to be. If you get baptized, you are preaching. You are preaching a message. Do you realize how many uh, symbols and signs there are today? You know, we're becoming a culture of less and less words and more and more symbols. In fact, I... These... All these texting we do and these new emojis. The other day I read, they even have an emoji Bible now. No words, just emojis. I thought, how in the world is that? I didn't even want to look at it. I just thought, man, I, I don't even, because there's a lot of emojis I don't even, still don't even get. I don't understand. But, and I, what does that one mean? But anyway, there are a few of them I understand really good. But um, symbols. I read the other day that the average American is... Um, is observes 15,000 images a day. 15,000 images a day. And I'm sure that's going up with all these little symbols we have. There's so many symbols. <laughs> the other day, I was walking out of Starbucks and uh, I had some trash in my hand. I came to the trash can and was going to leave the Starbucks and there was a trash can. Folks, I had a nervous breakdown. Because they had three holes. And they had a symbol at each hole. I'm looking at my trash, looking at that stinking trash can. Just about that time, a lady walked by me and I said, I don't know. It's getting pretty bad when you can't even figure out trash cans. And uh, she laughed. She said, I know. I can't. But here, it took me 30 seconds to figure out which, find it. I still don't know if I put it in the right thing. I feel like an alarm was going to go off if I put it in the wrong hole. <laughs> I didn't do it. I'm sorry, Obama. And, uh, <laughs> but you know what? I'm telling you that thank God for the symbol of baptism. It is a symbol that we believe, we preach publicly the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You'd say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I just don't, I just don't think I need to get baptized. Well, my friend, if you believe what the Bible says and you believe in Jesus Christ, but you refuse to be baptized, then I wonder, here's what Jesus said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I have said? 
Do you realize that when you refuse to be baptized, you stop your spiritual growth? You won't grow any further. Zero. That's why we call it the first act of Christian obedience. Get baptized. You get saved, get baptized. That's why when we win people to Christ, we need to tell them, get baptized. Because if they don't, it stops their Christian growth. Because you're going to go to Jesus and you're going to pray. Oh, God, he's going to say, I'm not, we've got an issue to deal with here. Well, now, but Jesus, wait a second. If you refuse to be baptized, why should I give you any further grace, any further, uh, not, any further truth? Any, you, won't even, you don't even appreciate and won't obey what I do give you. I mean, until, you, until we get this taken care of, it, we're not going to go any further. Baptism is not an incidental. It is not optional. It is part of the great commission of Jesus Christ. It is a public announcement of whose side I am on. It is, it is unashamedly say, I believe this. Now, when my wife and I got married, we put out an announcement. I publicly said, I'm marrying this precious woman. And then she gave me this beautiful ring. I gave her a ring. Now, uh, I wear it because I am unashamed of this marriage. I love her, and we, we go out together, and I introduce her. This is my bride, I tell people, because I, I, I so appreciate what she means to me. Now, imagine someone getting, say, getting married, refusing to wear the ring, never introducing people to their bride, and just, you know, like, yeah, you, know, you go do your thing, I do my thing. You know, that's not a marriage. That's just, that's a sham. No, when you get married, you, you are, uh, you say, well, if you take your ring off, are you married? Yes. If I take this ring off, I'm still married. Amen. But I'm not showing that I'm married. And the same thing with baptism. Uh, you, can, you can be saved and not baptized. I'm not saying that. But if you're if you're ashamed of Jesus, then fine, don't get baptized. But if you're not ashamed of him, then make a public pronouncement. I, as I was reading some of the stories of well-known people that have gotten baptized, I was, a, I was so encouraged by people with a high profile. Jeff Gordon, uh, one of the greatest NASCAR drivers ever, he uh, said the happiest day was not when he won this race or that way. He said the happiest day of his life was the day that he got baptized. He said it just transformed my life. I read media great Paul Harvey in his later years was in a church in Arizona, just happened to be there at a church, small church in Arizona, probably one of those retirement communities. He said the pastor got up and announced that he was going to preach on baptism. He thought, oh, brother, ho-hum. But he said somehow when the pastor was preaching, I felt engaged. And more and more as the message went on, I realized that baptism is an amazing expression of our faith. He said, the pastor at the end said, if you want to be baptized, come down today. He said, I came down there. And he said, the crazy thing is, he said, I cannot even stop singing since that day. He said, I just like a song in my heart. I read of Pat Summerall just a few years ago. Pat Summerall was an amazing NFL player back in the early 60s and then went on to be an announcer for the NFL. For 50 years, he worked with, either as a, uh, in the NFL or announcing for the NFL, but he was quite a rounder. Boy, I tell you what, from what I hear, when I read, uh, he was a hard partier. But then the day came when he uh, 
found the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was baptized. He said, the day that I got baptized, he said, I don't really know exactly what happened, but he said, I came out of that water a different man, a different person. Folks, I'm going to tell you here this morning, if you have never been scripturally baptized, you don't realize what this means for your life. If you're here and you've been baptized, praise God, then just walk in the joy of that. Now you say, well, I was baptized, but I don't even remember, or it's whatever. I just, maybe for the wrong reason or whatever. Then you can get baptized again. I'm not saying you should, but I'm saying you can. Certainly a, a case for that in the book of Acts when Paul came and he said, why were you baptized if, you weren't, if it wasn't for the right reason? And so they rebaptized those people. All I'm saying, we'll let you make that call, but I'm telling you this. Baptism is a tremendous way to say, I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I have decided to follow him. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are